The definition we've been looking, working with is from uh, Donald Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines, and this uh, talk about holy habits, and it'll be on the screen. He says, the spiritual disciplines, or holy habits, I call them, are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since Bible times. And, you know, when we talk about reading the Word or prayer and all these things, and again, these are five. You could talk about other things. There's, again, there's other areas that we could grow in. I just, uh, the, these were the five that we chose. But it's important when you're doing something to know what is the purpose behind it. Have you ever been a, you know, in your, on a job somewhere or whatever and you're doing something and you think, boy, why are we doing this? And it would kind of help if I just knew the reason why I keep doing this over and over, you know, all day long. And then you realize, well, if you don't do this, this doesn't happen and that can't happen. And so I'm like, okay, that changes perspectives. Well, the scripture, and we've had it on your bulletin each week, and it's 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It's on the screen. And this, uh, from the New Living Translation, says, uh, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train or discipline yourself to be godly. That word train or discipline is the word that uh, we that derive eventually the word uh, that we get gymnasium. What do you do at a gym? Well, it's a, it, you, you know, you exercise, you work out. And so the, the Greek origin of, of that English, uh, Anglo-Saxon word that we get for uh, discipline uh, derives its uh, 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 beginnings from that word that, that speaks about, that we get you know, speeds of working. And when you're in a gym, you're, you're probably sweating and you're, you know, you're, you're working the heart beat up a little bit and getting your blood pressure. Uh, in other words, the idea is that spiritual disciplines or holy habits, they're not passive. They're not passive. We don't just uh, pop a pill and just think, okay, well, I'm just going to grow in godliness now. No, there's things that we we do. We we don't. We don't. Uh, we're, we're not earning salvation. But once we are believers, we grow in godliness. We're to practice certain things if we want to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And so the second part of that verse is verse seven or verse eight, and it says physical training is good, but training for godliness. That word training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So not only do these growing in spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines benefit us now, but what is the promise according to verse 8? It promises benefits in eternity, okay, in the life to come. And so this morning, as we uh, finish this, we're going to look at holy habit number 5. And if you want to go back and listen to any of these, they're on the website and we're going to look at uh, the holy habit of evangelism or sharing our faith. And again, I'll use those interchangeably. Uh, sharing our faith, evangelism, that is one of the core responsibilities for a Christian, for a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, that it is assumed, expected, commanded, whatever, however you want to put it, that we share our faith, that we talk to others about Jesus Christ, that the mes message and purpose of what Christ has done 
in our life, what he's done in, 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 uh, in, uh, for humanity, that that is something that we want to be engaging other people in. Just to kind of simplify it, listen here, evangelism is simply talking to people about Jesus with a purpose towards seeing them, seeing God work in them to receive him as Lord and Savior, where they themselves become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That as you talk to them, as you converse with them, you're sharing what God has done in your life. You're maybe sharing a scripture or something, answering a question. And, and it is with a purpose, not just for them to, quote unquote, get their act together. Or I, you know, sometimes, you know, I love sometimes I'll get a good old boy say, preacher, I just need to get in church. Well, yeah, yeah, that would be good, you know, but you know, I always want to say you need to get church in you, you know, you need to get God in you. It isn't just showing up, it's, 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 it's walking and living a life in conformity to Jesus Christ. A lot of people will get in, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll raise arms and riot and that way you take away, you know, uh, you know, it's like when you always have these battles over the Ten Commandments in the courthouse or on the public square and and uh, or or we're gonna take the the you know sometimes some uh, places have maybe a verse of scripture and all of a sudden you know somebody ACLU or somebody will you know kind of challenge all that and people get up in arms. But what's sad is they'll get up in arms over that type of thing. But if you really dig down deep enough, sometimes they're not even obeying the Ten Commandments, let alone you know. I mean they, they'd rather see it on a monument. You know, but that doesn't do any good. We want to see the Word of God in our life and living it. And sometimes Christians, we have been good at talking, talking a big game, right? But really, we haven't lived what we preach. And that's just, you, you know, the divorce rate among Christians is almost even with unbelievers. I mean, in other words, our lifestyle doesn't always equal what we are shouting to the world. We need to kind of shout to ourselves a little bit, right? And we need to live our faith. And part of living your faith is being engaging in doing what Jesus has directed us to do. And so I realize not everyone is going to practice or share their faith in the same way. There's different ways that even the Apostle Paul and Peter and the disciples did. There's a variety of different ways. Uh, you know, I, I just, and you may disagree, and that's okay. You're, it's a free country. You can do that. But I'm just, I'm just kind of, uh, I think our culture, now this is what I'm going to say, this really isn't the controversial part, but you know, our culture has dramatically changed in 50 years. I think we all, you know, if you draw breath and have a pulse, I mean, you, you can't help but notice that, right? And even in the way that churches approach evangelism has changed, okay? The message does not change. Okay, let's make sure we're not talking about it. the message doesn't change. But for example, I've just I've become convinced that what I call confrontational evangelism is really not that effective. Does that mean God may not save somebody if you're just randomly going and knocking on doors in a neighborhood? Does that mean in God's providence there may be that one person that okay. But I'm just convinced that people don't want people knocking on their door at 7 o'clock at night, a stranger opening the door and wanting to come in and engage 
in anything, let alone something personal like their spiritual life or lack of. You with me? I just, I'm a pastor and I don't want that, all right? All right? So I just don't think that's effective. I don't think just, you know, again, does that mean there are seasons, you know, that people, you know, down at the beach, I remember one time we were down at Clearwater Beach and you had the Scientologists down there and I just couldn't resist. I had to go talk to them. And I said, I want you to know I'm, I've been declared clear. Now, if you know anything about Scientology, that's a code word. All my thetans, another code word, have been totally cleared out of me. And they're like, look at me like, like you're one of us. And I said, and Jesus Christ made me clear of all my sinful thetans. Now, if you don't know Scientology, you don't know anything about those little terms. And I just knew enough to be smart. But... but but they were just, and eventually they just kind of walked away. But you know what they were doing? They were handing out little pamphlets and all, didn't they, right? And again, there's, 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 I'm not knocking that. And I think there's a time when we need to be engaged with that. But I'm just saying, by and large, most of the most effective way in sharing our faith is building bridges and building relationships. Not just to build a relationship to have a buddy and you never, you never, you know, prayerfully engage them and move them along. And, and again, I'm not, this is another thing that Christians have sometimes been guilty on, is that people, your friends, don't make people your projects. People can see right through that. Have you ever been somebody's project about something? You can just see right through it. You know, I've been, you know, where, where the only reason they're inviting you, I remember one time this guy called me up, had to meet with me, had to meet with me right away. Okay, I, you know, I'm like, okay. And so I met with him. And about an hour in the conversation, I'll never forget, I was sitting on the bleachers in the gymnasium of the church I was on staff. And in about an hour in the conversation, I realized I've been suckered into this conversation. Because you know what he was? He was, and again, I'm not, it's a great company. You know what he's trying to hook me in? Amway. It could be any, you know, whatever. That's irrelevant. And I wanted to look at him and say, Francis, I will never do this again with you. I remember going over to somebody's house. You ever been at somebody's house? You're over there having dinner, and they go out in the other room, and they come out, and they, they have an easel and a whiteboard. How many has that ever happened to? Fake an illness and get out, because they're going to show you this multi-marketing, you know, whatever. Again, I'm not knocking. I'm just saying people resent when you have a, you know, kind of a double cover of what your motives and purpose are. Be friends with a person and be genuine. People can see right through that. And so, again, I think there's different ways and different methods. But, you know, fundamentally, there's lots of reasons people don't share their faith. Uh, you know, we live in a time when it's not politically, it's politically incorrect, right? It's politically incorrect. I'm not sure how that happened. Maybe just skip that picture. Can you do something with that? I'm not sure whether um, a little glitch. That's okay. Uh, if it doesn't work, skip it. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, it's politically incorrect to do so. You know, because because immediately when you start talking about somebody and you mention Jesus or something of that nature, they're immediately going to come back and say, "Well, you know what? That's good for you, right? I I'm glad you have." Your religion. I have my own religion. And so that's kind of the culture. Or what makes it politically incorrect is to, in any way, talk about Jesus being the exclusive only way to God. 
That's, that just riles people, you know? But yet Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Be mad at Jesus, all right? But Jesus said that. He was the, and so that doesn't fit into our politically correct uh, uh, climate. Sometimes we'll say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And there are people who, you know, God has gifted in unusual ways. But, you know, Paul told Timothy, who, uh, and you can kind of piece it together a little bit, he talked about, don't let anybody look down on you because of your age and your timidity. But he also told him, said, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, I don't think it came naturally to Timothy, his son of the faith, but he, Paul said, but do the work of, a, of, a, of, a, of an evangelist. In other words, that is something that we're all called to do, even though it may be different ways that we do it. But if we are truly believers, if we are Christians, uh, we will find ways and avenues that uh, we will share our faith. Sometimes we don't share our faith, if I could just say this, is because of uh, ongoing sin in our life that has sidelined us. And we're basically living a double life, and we've lost the, any audience to share anything about our faith because we've talked one way over here and lived one way over here, and we've lost credibility, and sometimes that will sideline a person. Listen, whatever your excuse is, and I got my own excuses, they're nothing more than excuses. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, um, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Really, it is as you are going, make disciples of all nations. And so we are to be about making disciples of other people. That was the great commission, the last words, the, com the, the commander-in-chief Jesus gave to his followers. And when we come to Acts chapter 1-8, we talked about this when we did our study on the book of Acts, Jesus told them to go and wait in Jerusalem because when you, if you wait, wait for the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my what? You will be my witnesses. And that should help us a little bit to understand that, um, now remember, the disciples uh, had the Holy Spirit but this was a new experience of empowerment of the Holy Spirit because, remember, the disciples, remember when Jesus blew on them? I mean, they received outwardly the Spirit to see and understand. But what is different here, remember we did that series on the Holy Spirit with J.D. Greer? It's better to have, Jesus says, it's better that I return so that I can send the, the Spirit to empower and be with you, in you, uh, than Jesus just being uh, with you outwardly. So now you, Jesus is saying, you can't accomplish my purpose unless the Spirit of God empowers you. So that should help us to know that this isn't something about learning new techniques, new little clever uh, stories and handles and those things. Again, those are things that can be helpful, but the emphasis is, is being used by the Holy Spirit to be his witness. And that means being directed by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. I found that the most effective conversations <clears throat> that were gospel-centered, evangelistic, whatever term you want to put on them, are those conversations where the Holy Spirit could say, nudged me to, to talk to this person. And 
You know, and you know, you go through that arguing with God. Well, I don't know that person. They think I'm an idiot, you know, going over there and, you know, just, you know, and, and God, you, now, and we'll look at this a little later. God wants to use us at all different parts of the process in, in this work of drawing people to himself. And so we just, again, we are called to be faithful. But the biggest fear, really, if we're honest, biggest fear, and probably one of the biggest excuses, is fear. Fear. What will people think? They'll think I'm some Jesus freak. I'm a nut, right? Yeah, probably. They probably will. Um, you know, I don't want to be some spiritual kook that when I come into the, the kitchen at the office or the lunchroom or and they all quit talking, you know, or they're talking about this and all of a sudden now I've got this persona around me and I'm kind of marked, you know, for being this, this type of person. What if maybe I don't say the right words? What if I get something wrong or whatever? But fear, right, fear can really grip us uh, and hinder us from opening our mouth and sharing our faith. But I think the reason that we get wrapped up in fear is because so much of our focus is built around me and my ability and my ability to persuade. But as I say, as the verse says in Acts 1.8, that the emphasis is in God using you to empower you you cannot do the commission. You cannot do the work of Christ. We cannot fulfill his mission apart from the empowerment of the Spirit, right? So therefore, if I'm putting all this emphasis on me, I'm basically saying, well, yeah, in me, I can't do this. Jesus essentially was telling his followers, his disciples, because if he thought they could do it, he would have just, he wouldn't, they didn't need the Spirit. And if you've ever done something and just kind of your own wit and cleverness or whatever, usually it all fell apart. But as we are learning to walk in the Spirit, and that's not some weird thing. It just means that we are conscious of the presence of God in our life. We're spending time in these holy habits of the Word, prayer, worship, stewardship of life, and all those things that are intended to cultivate what? Godliness. And as we are growing in godliness, we're going to be much more aware and conscious of the, of the presence of God in our life. And when the Holy Spirit and God directs us into situations and conversations, then you know what? We are just, here it is. Sometimes, you've heard this, we are so consumed with our ability and all God wants is our availability. We are so consumed about my ability or lack of ability and all God wants is our availability. Are you available for Him? Because this is about Him. This is about His purpose. And so this morning, as we unpack this a little bit, um, I just want to give, it's not really very polished. There's, all the words don't start with the, right, the letter, and it's not one of those good Southern Baptist sermons, you know. Um, they're, just, they're just some encouraging thoughts because I don't want to, like with prayer, I was really, I don't want to get into techniques. Because sometimes we mistake technique and like, okay, you do this for 10 minutes, you do this for five minutes, and you do this, and you got to memorize this acrostic, and God's not going to hear you because you mixed up the letters, and you're just all wrapped up. Next thing you know, you're like, forget it, I need to go mow the grass, or I need to go do the day, you know, and you just abandon it. It's too complicated. 
right? So I'm not going to, and if you go on the website and look at those resources, there's all sorts of different tools on there to get, there, there's one tool of sharing the gospel with just using one verse of scripture. There, there, there's, a, there's an example on there called the three circles where, where it just shows you using writing on a napkin, three circles of how to share your faith. Real easy stuff, but that's all on the website. And you can check that out. So this is just some things of growing and encouraging and being committed to the Great Commission. Do you want to be committed to the Great Commission? Thank you, Billy Ray. Uh, besides Billy Ray, do you want to be committed to the Great Commission? All right, now we're, gonna, now we're talking, all right? Let's pray. Father, help us today as we just all, all, beginning with me, Lord, desire to grow in this priority of our walk with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, these are just some, just some different things and, uh, of encouragement. First of all, I think it's important to realize, number one, it is a privilege to speak about Jesus. Let that just sink in for a minute. It is a privilege that the most wonderful person, individual of the universe, the architect and sustainer of space and time and matter, the one who made everything, who made us, before there was a planet to stand on, before there was air uh, around it to breathe, a sun above it to warm, provision to sustain it, the second person of the Trinity reigned and existed in blessed perfection. Before there was a where, he was there. And before there was a when, he was. And it is a privilege to talk about Jesus. It's not a drudgery. It is a privilege to talk about Jesus. And to think about this Jesus is a loving Jesus. He, he is God in, in, in perfection who loved us. He came to this world to be with unlovely people like us called human beings who would shackle him up and crucify him and responded to his gracious offer of love and grace and responded in hatred and putting God used that and putting them death on the cross and what God could have annihilated us because of our sin, God did the very opposite in that he came himself to redeem us from our sin. And so it is a great privilege that this one that we are given the opportunity to speak of is a great privilege. And we should consider it to be a great privilege. He rose from the dead. He's exalted and mighty in heaven. He's awaiting the Father's command to return to this earth bodily to rule and to reign for all eternity. And here's the deal. We get to speak about this person. Why would he? I don't know. Why would he do that? It's incredible. should be humbling. Remember what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5.20? Paul said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? I know there's been a recall in a few of them recently. We won't get into that. Uh, but fundamentally, an ambassador is not there to act on their own. An ambassador is there to speak on behalf of the president, the king, or the prime minister, or whoever, right? If Paul says we are ambassadors, who are we representing? We have the privilege of being appointed to be ambassadors. But look at the rest of this. We are ambassadors for Christ. God, look at this making his appeal, his appeal 
through us. Paul says we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's his privilege to speak of Christ. Secondly, Jesus is not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of his people. Let's be honest, sometimes we don't share our faith because we're ashamed of him. Well, I would never say, well, yeah, we're embarrassed, we're uncomfortable, what would they think? And really, if you think about it, us being ashamed of Jesus is the most crazy, illogical thing. I'm embarrassed of him? What? I'm embarrassed of him? He should be embarrassed of me. Jesus is not embarrassed of us. Isn't that amazing? I love Hebrews 2.11. says, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, sisters. Say it this way. He's not ashamed to call us family. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to rescue us, to redeem us. Jesus is not ashamed of me. Why in the world would I be ashamed to speak of him? Thirdly, it's an act of love to share the gospel, to evangelize, to share our faith. It's really the most loving thing we could do. Well, you know, I... I got family over and we just don't talk about. And I realize you've got to be, you know, you got family over for the weekend. They're kind of hostile to things or maybe they're into whatever. You don't want to just, you know, trap them, lock the door and be that Amway salesman, you know, pull out the whiteboard. Let me give you the Romans road here. Um, you know, you want to build that relationship, but at some act of love, remember this. We are just called to deliver the mail. We are not called to, for their response to what... Now, we want to make sure that our message accurately represents the God we serve, correct? But the responsibility is not on my cleverness, on not my ability to use some really cool illustrations that I heard Ravi Zacharias say and Josh McDowell and quantum physics, and next thing you know, I'm so confused, I don't even know what I'm talking about because I'm trying to make some parallel to Christianity or whatever, instead of just being natural. You know, the greatest thing that you, beyond technique, the Bible says in Revelation that... Um, that talks about the enemy was slain by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Think about those two things. The blood of the Lamb, the work of Christ, and the word of their testimony. You know what the word of their testimony? It's just the application of the blood of the Lamb. My testimony is just the application of what God has done in my life. You and I, you could argue with me over, you know, this aspect of creation, whether it was, you know, seven days or it was periods of time, and you can argue over the authorship of this book of the Bible, and whether there was a literal this or a little, and we can get all, and again, you know, people want to argue and do all that kind of thing. But one thing, really, you will never convince me of and not really have a very good stand is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Right? You will not convince me that I drove down Kathleen Road at about 8, 19, this morning, 
turned in, dropped my wife and mother-in-law off, parked the car. I'm not losing my mind. I really did that. That really happened. Remember what John said in 1 John? We write about what we've what? Seen, heard, handled, touched with our hands. In other words, this isn't just some fairy tale. We're writing about what we have personally experienced. And really when it gets down to it, it's hard to beat a changed life. And so if we love people, we'll be motivated to share our faith. Think about how loving it is to speak the gospel to people. If another person trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation, they experience the greatest benefit. They, they receive the greatest gift. They obtain the greatest eternity. They are released from every sin. They are reconciled to God. They're no longer bound by death and Satan. They are headed to a life of unending joy and eternity. Don't you think that's a loving thing to do? J.C. Ryle said, one of the old writers of the past, J.C. Ryle said this. He said, it is the ultimate act of selfishness for a Christian to be content to going to heaven alone. Think about that. It's loving. It's loving to share this good news. For God so, yeah, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. Fourthly, this gospel is amazing. This gospel is incredible. It's an incredible message. When you really think about the gospel, it is an amazing message. It, it's, 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 it's good news. You see, sometimes we, in, in different, maybe this, you have this experience. I know Campus Crusade uh, really popularized this. And again, I'm not I'm not knocking, I'm just making an observation, um, where kind of the first question, I think it was on a track or uh, in their training, is to begin with that, and I think they've changed some of the wording now. But God loves you and has a, finish it, a wonderful plan for your life. Now, is that true? Well, could be, but we'll assume it is, right? All right? And, uh, but the, you really don't appreciate the good news Unless you got some understanding of the bad news, right? I mean, if you came to me and said, Pastor Tim, I came and, man, I picked you up and wished you away just in time. I was like, oh, I appreciate it. I don't know what the hurry was all about. Well, I just found out there were some people here, and they were coming after you to kill you. I would appreciate you coming and rescuing me much more infinitely better than I did before because I would understand the or the, uh, the circumstances or the potential dire situation so when we talk about the gospel, when we realize that we were without hope, you've heard me say in John 3, I quoted John 3, 16, the context is, remember Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, Pharisee, top guy, Pharisee, he came to Jesus at night, maybe he didn't want others to see, but, and, and I believe that Nicodemus uh, later suggests that he was, uh, became a believer, a follower of Christ. But he came, and remember he said, you know, it's obvious that nobody could just do these things unless they were sent from God. Remember, he was very genuine and complimentary. Remember what Jesus said when he said about being born again? And Nicodemus, 
like, didn't understand. Like, what, it's impossible for me to enter into my mother's womb a second time. He was thinking what? Natural birth. But why did Jesus say that? Because he was saying that just as you really had nothing to do with your physical birth, I was an uncooperative participant in that whole process, right? You were too. I didn't birth myself. That happened beyond me. So is salvation a work of God that does not, you, you really have nothing to do with the actual birthing of salvation. You with me? So Jesus said, just as, is it, impos- just as it is impossible for you to, be, to create your own physical birth, so it is without God for you to be able to create your own spiritual birth. You must be born again. Born, literally in Greek, born from above. And so, so when we think about that without God's intervention, I would be absolutely without hope. There would be no hope. There would be no possibility because of the weight of sin. And so when we talk about the gospel, I think sometimes, maybe you're here this morning, is that maybe there's a difficulty because really, even though you've been in church all your life, if you were to ask the right on or just say, what is the gospel, you would have a real hard time. You would talk about going to church and joining this church and being baptized maybe as a child. or you, you would talk about a lot of activity. But when I said, no, explain to me what, what is the, what is the God? What is it? What biblically, what, and I'm not saying use a bunch of theological words, but explain to me in very just basic childlike language, what is this? What is this? Well, I'll tell you what it is in a real simple way. The gospel is a message about God. That's where sometimes we get things wrong because you know where we begin? We don't begin with God. You know where we begin? We begin with moi, ourselves. And that's the reason you have all these distorted views of Christianity that are distorting the gospel to health, wealth, prosperity, uh, kind of a therapeutic self-help religion kind of thing, when it begins with God. If you don't understand, one, the nature and character of God and, and recognize what God and His holiness, why there is such a gap of sin then you can never really understand the rest of the message. So the gospel is a message about God. It's also, secondly, a message about sin. And because of understanding who God is, all of a sudden we begin to understand sin. The gospel tells us how we have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's standard. You know, when you take your kids or grandkids and you take them to Disney or some of the rides and they'll have something that says, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Have you ever had little kids and they weren't tall enough? Well, God has a standard so beyond, and you're like, you're standing up against God and you're like, whoa, I really fall short of the glory of God because of who I am outside of his intervention. It's a message about sin. We are helpless in sin, and we stand under the wrath of God. That is the picture of a person outside of Christ. They are under the wrath of God, 
And it shows us ourselves, the gospel shows us ourselves as God sees us. We are without righteousness. We are unholy. We are deserving of judgment. That is the picture of the Bible. That's not the picture of Joel Osteen's gospel. That is the picture of the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel message is not only about God and sin. We have a sin problem, but it's about God's answer to our problem, and that's a message about Christ. The gospel points out Christ as the Son of God coming incarnate, that means in the flesh, the Lamb of God, an Old Testament motif, picture of the spotless sacrifice that God gave, Christ dying for sin, crucified, risen again, risen on the third day, who's conquered death, who gives new life, and thus he is a perfect Savior sent by a perfect God to redeem us perfectly. If you get quiet, I just go longer. You know that. Jesus is perfect. The president said he had a perfect conversation. I don't know if he did or not. But I know that Jesus had a perfect work of completing salvation. And that's why the oldest lie that Satan is always trying to intertwine in the church is always trying to add to what is perfect and complete in Jesus Christ. Every cult, every false religion, every false doctrine within the so-called evangelical church always gets that tangled up where it's Jesus plus whatever. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's God's math. Jesus plus nothing. It's a message about God, sin, Christ. And this is not just a message. We just say, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Some religious people have a nice talk, and that's nice. No, it requires faith and repentance. It is not meant to just be passively adhered to, but it requires faith, which is trust and repentance. It is a demand. It's not just a suggestion to do more religious works or to uh, uh, just resolve and being a better person or giving up some evil habits. No, it requires that I turn and I follow Christ. It is an act of my will. It is an act of my affections. It is a call of faith and trust. It is abandoning all self-confidence in me and trusting completely and wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, in Christ. It is a demand not just to believe intellectually, even though we do believe in truth and facts, but it is truth and belief that affects my will. It affects my affections. And that's why I repent. Repent means to make a U-turn, make a change. It requires faith. It's a break from the past. It's giving oneself completely to Christ. It's putting no limits on what claims He can make over your life. Amen. <laughs> Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Now notice the language here. For it, what is the it? The gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. The message, the truth. We talk about the gospel. We're not talking about gospel music and gospel this. And we're talking about this core message about God, about sin, about Christ, and about faith and repentance. The gospel and what God has done to rescue us from the cesspool of our sin. And Paul was committed to this. 1 Corinthians 9.16, one translation reads it this way. He says, he's telling the, good news, telling the good news does not give me any reason for bragging. It's not about me. Telling the good news of the gospel, he says, is my duty. Something I must do. And he says, woe to me or how terrible it would be for me if I do not tell the good news. The gospel is amazing. And what happens, we love singing Amazing Grace, but sometimes grace isn't quite as amazing as it was at one time. Right? It is amazing grace. And when we become cold and indifferent, it's usually because we have drifted and become cold over this amazing truth of what God has done. Number five, sharing the gospel brings joy. It's joy to evangelize. It's joy to share our faith. I tell you, one of the greatest things is when God uses you, whether at any part of this process in directing a conversation, maybe using you as something as simple as making an invite. And I realize we've got to get more of those invite cards. Some of you make use of those. Some of you still got piles of them in your glove compartment. Like, how does he know that? God would use me. Remember we talk about what a privilege this is? That God would use me to be the midwife. Is that right? For, you know, midwife of seeing someone birth into the kingdom of God? There's nothing like it. Especially when you know you didn't do nothing except just open your mouth and, right? God did it. God took a fumbling, bumbling conversation. You couldn't find, you couldn't, you were just all over the map. And this person just, I want to know Jesus. Oh, wait a minute, I got, wait a minute, I'm not only, I'm on outline three. Hold on just a minute, I got to get the rest in. Here's a word of advice. Abandon the outline. All right? Pray. All right? All right? Forget it. You know Why? Because when God is working in that, drawing that person, man, it's going to happen. I believe, well, I won't, that's going to stretch us, but I, you know, that no, no, I'll, I'll regret it. I'll regret it when I get in the car with my wife. Um, there's, there's some, if you've ever, uh, and we, we want to do this, there's a, there's a great, uh, series that really, to me, has been one of, one of the most helpful things called Sharing. It's actually called Sharing Jesus Without Fear by a guy named um, Faye. I'm trying to remember. His, I know Arnie knows who I'm talking about. Um, and his basic premise, and he really kind of adapts a little bit from Henry Blackaby's concept of experiencing God. You remember Henry Blackaby? God's working all around us. We just need to get on what God is doing, right? Real simple. 
Well, he kind of builds on that and says, listen, God is working in people's lives all around you, and we just need to salt some conversation to see maybe that person where they're at, you know? Uh, some of you know my friend Eric Grenier. He and his family came here. He's pastoring over in, um, is it Winter Haines City, and uh, pray for him. He went from a Southern Baptist to a Presbyterian, so I've been trying to work on him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of you don't know me. Just take offense at that. But I had lunch with him a couple of weeks back, and we went out there and spent about three hours just talking. That's what happens when you get preachers. It's a fusion of chaos that comes together in the restaurant. But um, one thing I always appreciate what he does, and I wish I was more consistent in that. And we did, he did it when we had lunch. The waitress came over, and as we're getting ready to um, order or finish the order, he always says, at least when I've been around, he says, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our food. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And as many times as I've been with him, usually they will say, um, yeah, and sometimes it's pray for my husband. He needs a job. Or, or sometimes, and I thought this was clever, if they say, well, I can't think of anything, and then he'll say, or he'll say well, how about bigger tips? And they're like, well, yeah, definitely pray for that. Sometimes, and again, be careful of this, because they're, they're working. Waitresses are working. Don't, don't hold them up, try, you know, doing that. Just say, okay, when we pray, we're going to pray for you. Pretty easy stuff, right? Now, how do you know where you are in the divine chain of events that somebody else may come along? You don't know what people are going on in their private life. You don't know that hostile, angry, bitter person that the mention about Christians or evangelicals and they just have an out-of-body experience and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to bring that subject up again. You don't know when they're alone and ha swigging back a, a thing of scotch or whatever. You don't know they might be watching David Jeremiah. They might be watching somebody on television and God is working in their hearts. Don't you think it'd be nice to have God and the Holy Spirit to give you a little heads up so you might could maybe plant under the seed or maybe, as the Bible shows us, maybe be the one that brings, that God allows to be a part of that birthing and that harvest, right? So it's a joy. Six, evangelism is an opportunity to walk by faith. Man, this gets real basic. For the Bible says we walk by faith and not by what? And so when I step out to share Christ, open a gospel conversation, despite even feeling that anxiousness or apprehension, listen, it is a moment to trust Jesus. It's a moment to walk in faith. It's a moment to, even what Jesus would say, remember when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves? It's an opportunity for me to do a little denial. Deny my anxiety and shyness. Oh, what will they think of me? They'll think I'm a nut or whatever. You know, just, just forget it. Just say whatever. Whatever God's leading you or give them whatever. Number seven. And this may seem like a funny thing, but number seven is sometimes people get saved. Isn't that amazing? Because hopefully you know and I know that not every time a person shares their faith, not every time a person just, you know, right then and there, they, and I think sometimes we put so much emphasis upon decisionism, making a decision. And yeah, there is a decision, but sometimes there's a decision that takes place over 
months, years. I mean, there's, you know, and sometimes we put so much emphasis upon walking the aisle. If you've come out of that tradition and, you know, and shaking the preacher's hand, filling out a card and making it, you know, and we had three billion decisions at our crusade. Well, maybe, and I hope some of them were actually saved. I don't know. Because listen, if many people were saved at every Billy Graham or Franklin Graham crusade, man, we would have an amazing revival going on in this world, right? Right? But again, I'm okay with all that because, you know, you throw the big net out and God will, so I'm okay. I'm not hung up on all those technicalities. I'm just saying is that sometimes we put so much emphasis upon, you know, we walk away where we've just been faithful, but we walk away feeling defeated because, oh, that person didn't pray with me. That person didn't do this. And we just feel like we blew it. I'm never going to do that again. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop. I don't mean stop sharing. I mean quit, quit falling into that feeling. Because, again, God uses different people all on the way. Well, remember what the Bible says, faith comes by hearing. God has ordained not only the means of sharing our faith, but He's ordained the message, as we looked at earlier. God has inspired this gospel message to be done in a certain way. And what we've... what maybe you've seen and I've seen, is churches fall into all sorts of gimmicks of everything but the gospel when God has... Now, creativity, I'm okay with some of that. But some of it is just crazy. Some of it is just goofy. We're not here to put on a show. We're here to glorify God. Thank you. I tell you, this is a great thing when people get saved. Luke 15, 10, Jesus says that there's joy. Look at this. Can you imagine? That there's joy before the angels of God over how many sinners? 10,000. 5,000. No. One. One. Now, this is apocryphal. This isn't accurate. But I'm just, I mean, I, I can imagine them saying, wow, look at Look at what Jared did. He was involved. He just was obedient. And this person is in the kingdom of God that God the Father wrote in Psalm 139 before the foundation of the earth. And man, we see it coming together. And God, man, that Jared, isn't that excited about Jared? Can't wait to tell Jared when we see him. Hey, well done, brother. Because they get excited. I wish we could get excited. Right? Listen, this is the activity of what is going on up in heaven. They're cognizant of what's going on down here. Last, I'm just going to skip this. Last thing, and maybe it should be the first thing, is pray. It was kind of lonely up there, that little word, doesn't it? Should have come up with a fancy sentence or something. I had eight Ps and sounded just right, right? But you know what? Ask God to give you and me strength. Ask God to give our church strength. Luke 10.2, New Living Translation says, these were, talking about Jesus, his instructions to him, the harvest is great, but the workers are what? So what do we do? We just throw up our hands and quit? No. So pray, notice the language, pray to the Lord who is in what? Charge of the harvest. And ask Him 
Ask him, Lord, make me a worker for your glory. <coughs> I don't even know who D.L. Moody is. You've heard of Moody Radio Florida, right? It didn't just because some people were in a bad disposition and created that name. They were Moody. No, it actually really was a deal. Uh, D- Dwight L. Moody, famous evangelist from Chicago. I think his picture's on the screen. But D.L. Moody, uh, famous evangelist in Chicago, uh, birth, uh, God gave him great vision of sharing the gospel, founded the Moody Bible Institute, great institution, great place. Uh, of course, there are network and radio and all global, global ministry. But I love this story as we close this morning. And uh, he was, uh, you know, as he traveled and did various uh, ministries and crusades as, a, as an evangelist, and that was what he was, primarily evangelist, there were people that were very critical of Moody. And one particular person um, was very critical of his method of evangelism uh, in writing. And, and, and when he was coming into this town, he was very critical about Moody and, and, and just the way he was going about uh, uh, this, this evangelism and all that. But when Moody came into this town and this minister happened to be there, and Moody met him, and the guy just started being critical. And again, he was spreading all this negative stuff about Moody in the community. And, um, and Moody uh, said, you know, I, uh, I, I see clearly that you don't like the way I'm doing evangelism. And you know what? You raised some valid points. You raised some valid points. He said, frankly, I sometimes don't like my way of doing evangelism either. But listen to what he said. He said, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. You know what the best method of evangelism is? The one you use. 